You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. The future of the country's most commonly used abortion medication will continue to be debated this week after two federal judges give conflicting rulings. On Friday, a judge in Texas ordered a hold on the FDA's longtime approval of Mifepristone. He claims it's not safe and says the FDA didn't study it enough. Minutes later, a judge in Washington state ruled access to the drug should remain the same. The federal government has appealed the Texas ruling. It is the Martha Zoller show. And look, we're going to, I'm going to kind of lay this particular issue out and we're going to talk about some grown up things. I don't think there's kids in the car today because uh, everybody went back to school. But I just want to lay this out because nobody is going to tell you the truth about this. And to my friends that are pro life, I have something for you. But to my friends that are pro choice, please listen to this because I think that you will understand. A little more about this whole situation. Since Roe v. Wade's been overturned, everybody wants to make every abortion issue just about whether there's access to abortion or not. But there is a health care issue that even though I do not personally support the use of the abortion pill cocktail uh, because it does induce a miscarriage. Okay, I understand that it is legal and it's very important that you understand what happened and how we got to this point. During COVID, a number of drugs that previously had to be only dispensed by seeing a doctor and getting a written prescription, like the abortion pill cocktail and opioids, were allowed to be done through telemedicine because of COVID. Okay, so during a a period of time in 2020, these pills were, were able to be done through telemedicine and you did not have to go see a doctor. In 2021... The FDA moved all of these drugs back to where they had to have a doctor's appointment. The Biden administration then did an executive order about the abortion cocktail pills. There's three pills in the cocktail that allowed you to continue with telemedicine on the abortion pill cocktail. And um, the problem I have with that is that. This is not the morning after pill. A lot of people confuse that. The morning after pill is you had unprotected sex. You went, oops, I had unprotected sex. I'm going to take this abortion. I mean, this uh, morning after pill. And then if I did get pregnant, it's not going to latch onto my uterus and I'm not going to get pregnant. Even though, you know, some people don't in the pro-life movement don't like that. That is not an abortion. Okay. The abortion cocktail pills are you have gotten a positive pregnancy test, you are pregnant, you are at some weeks pregnant, I think it's up to 10 weeks you can use these, and you are taking this in order to induce this reaction, which is a miscarriage, which if you know what a miscarriage is, you bleed from that. Planned Parenthood requires you to come in in person and to come back the next day to be sure there aren't any complications. If Planned Parenthood acknowledges that this is a dangerous, could be dangerous, there are 25 women that have died from these these pills being taken. Um, Now, that's a small number as a percentage, but to those 25 families, it's a big number. Okay? 
And if 25 people had died from, from a blood pressure medicine or from any other kind of medicine, they would stop the distribution of that medicine. So what's happening here is a kind of abortion at all costs policy. And what I would say to you, my pro-choice friends, I would just say to you, if your daughter was pregnant and decided she wanted to take this abortion pill cocktail, would you want her to go see a doctor face-to-face? Or would you want her to get it through the mail and deal with it herself? And I think the answer to that question for almost anybody is that they should see a doctor. Whether you are pro-life or pro-choice, they should see a doctor because this is eliciting and a reaction that causes you to start your period. But in the case of a, a woman who is pregnant, it is much more than that. So that's all I'm saying here. So there is this battling duo between these two court cases, and the federal government is saying they're going to be totally involved in this. You know, they don't want to save the people in East Palestine. They don't want to save it. But on this, man, they are all in. I'm just trying to present a reasonable position that I believe I don't care if you call yourself pro-choice or pro-life. I ask you the question. If your daughter, I love, I'll use the terminology, fell pregnant. I don't know how that happens. I guess you fell somewhere and you got pregnant. But that's a terminology a lot of people like to use. If your daughter was pregnant and she was going to take this cocktail of pills that was going to elicit a response of having a miscarriage, would you want her to have a doctor that she saw or would you want her to do it over telemedicine? I think the answer universally is you would want her to be able to see a doctor. So that's what this is about. And you're not going to hear this from anybody else. Because it's the truth, and it's the truth they don't want you to know. And I just have a real problem with that, because I, I think it ought to be a no-brainer whether you are pro-life or pro-choice. It should be a no-brainer that women should be safe. A couple of weeks ago, the entire Democratic caucus was up in arms because of the maternal death rate in Georgia, and they should be. There are way too many places where a woman cannot get regular medical care early in her pregnancy, and prenatal care, we know, is what prevents that. But yet, they're perfectly fine with a 16-year-old getting abortion pills through the mail and taking them without a doctor involved. And I just think that doesn't make sense. And it is that twisted view that the people that are making money off of this have. It's not unlike you know, the, the kind of crazy arguments that they have about a number of other issues where the lawmakers are so disconnected from their constituents. I think if you're a Democratic or a Republican lawmaker, your constituents, if you ask them this question, do you want your daughter to take these pills without the interaction with a doctor? I think the answer would be unanimous. Of course not. I think my daughter would need to see a doctor in this case. I don't care if you're pro-choice or pro-life. That is the way this should be. We ought to be using these medicines in the safest way possible if we're going to use them. So, again, I do not support the use of the abortion pill cocktail. I believe that's an abortion, and at me personally, I do not support it. But I also understand that it's legal. 
And if it's going to be legal, it ought to be safe. And I'm telling you what, if there were 25 men dying from some uh, reaction to a prescription, they would stop selling it. Okay? But because it's 25 women, they don't mind. They don't mind. We don't get hurt. And, and I can give you chapter and verse, list and list and list of issues like this that are like that. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Justin Gibney is joining us right now. He's an attorney and political strategist uh, and an ordained minister in Atlanta, Georgia. He also, uh, he is the co-founder and president of the AND campaign, which is a coalition of urban Christians who are determined to address the socio-political arena. Uh, There's an event coming up called Heirs of Action that we wanted to talk about today. And Justin, welcome to the program. Martha, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Sure. And look, I think that probably we differ on a lot of political topics, but we're both Christians and we um, we want to make sure we have these kinds of discussions because I think it's really important. So first of all, tell us about AND and then tell us about Heirs of Action. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the AND campaign uh, was uh, founded in Atlanta. Uh, and we are a Christian civic organization that's trying to raise civic literacy among Christians, so get them to understand the process a little better, but then also get Christians to we're not we're not so much focused on party or even ideology, but more so biblical principles. And I think that's what would bring you and I together on maybe more issues than than we would know, uh, because we believe that unfortunately in our in our political landscape we kind of separate justice from moral order. And so you have people who care about justice and, or you have people who care about moral order. But as I read the gospel, as I look, you know, uh, through the Bible, I see a concern for moral order and justice. I think that love and truth work together. And that's really what the AND campaign is about. It's about justice and moral order. It's about love and truth and compassion and conviction. And we think that's a more faithful public witness than us being hyper conservative or hyper progressive. Um, and then as far as this event goes, you know, what we're trying to do on Thursday is we're bringing black Christian leaders from all over the country together. Folks like Bishop uh, Claude Alexander, Benjamin, Benjamin Watson, who was a former NFL football player, are all coming together to kind of endorse uh, our movement. And so it's going to be a, a really a good moment. Uh, we want people to understand that although a lot of African-Americans and most African-Americans are Democrats, don't assume that we agree with progressives on a lot of social issues. That's not the case. But we think it is incumbent upon us now to speak up on those issues where we disagree with the left or the right, because we do have a unique witness that needs to be heard. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Um, You know, many years ago, I was able to uh, do a number of interviews um, on on these issues. And it's you know, it's it is not as black and white, if you will, as people would like it to be, right? Because you have these issues where, uh, yes, most African-Americans vote Democrat. But if you dig down in the issues, there are a lot of issues that people like me who are conservative and are traditional in values, we, we think the same way about this. And I think that 
too many times um uh what did joe lowry often say is that the the democrats uh take us for granted and the republicans take us is what, what he would say right and right. i think there's a lot of uh, important things you see this in the hispanic community too where you find that they're socially conservative their traditional family values those kinds of things but they do have some issues either related to social justice or or any of those kinds of issues and and i think that sometimes terminology has been sort of used against us right because who doesn't want justice? Who doesn't want people to be able to be treated fairly? But we've weaponized the language. That That's so true. I mean, there's so many different things that become divisive. A lot of that does have to do with language. And so I think one of the things that we have to do is sit down and have relationships so that we can see what each other mean outside of, you know, our definitions that may differ. I mean, a lot of this is about having uh, relationships But I do think that the way that the public square is set up, it almost makes it so that Christians communicate through other people rather than to each other. And and we're hoping that we can get to a place to say, okay, we're not going to agree on everything, just like you noted, Martha. But at least we can talk to each other rather than having having interpreters that may not have an interest in us seeing eye to eye on anything, right? Oh, there's no doubt about that. Um, I think the biggest problem that we have is that and and maybe you'll think I'm being unfair about this. And if I am, Justin, just please tell me. But I think there's okay. a, a lot of groups out there uh, that say they're for something, but they really don't want to solve it. And it happens on the left and the right. Okay. They don't really want to solve the problem because they're making money off of it. And <laughs> if you solve the problem and the group goes away, then there are people that aren't going to make money off of it anymore. And uh, it's disappointing to me. It's, it actually makes me despondent at times uh, because I really want to solve problems. You know, I want things to be better. I want to work with whoever it takes to make things better. And it's frustrating to me. Yeah, I, Martha, I wish I could disagree with you on that point. But there are certainly folks on the right and the left that are kind of exploiting or taking advantage of certain issues and that get us riled up, but aren't necessarily bringing us any solutions. And so one of the things that the AND campaign tells people is that you have to be in control of your emotions. Don't let anybody have these kind of Pavlov dog uh, uh, talking points that can always get you enraged because that means that you're easily exploited. And so we tell people, you know, we, we don't go off hot takes. We sit down. We want to hear both sides. We talk about one thing, and it's one of the reasons that I listen to you, which is about having kind of media hygiene. Uh, we encourage people, look, you should have a conservative that you listen to because they're intellectually honest and also a progressive you listen to, not because you agree with them, but, again, because they're intellectually honest and you want to hear both sides and you don't want uh, one side or the other kind of controlling your emotions and, and tugging at your, your kind of heart strength. Well, I mean, and I love talking to people I disagree with because having to defend my position makes me more secure in that position and also yep. makes me think, hmm, I haven't thought about that or I have thought about that. I mean, you know, I'm not as up on all of the gender issues that I probably should be. I'm a traditionalist when it comes to that. I I am, you know, I I I am what I am, right? But I am listening and talking to people right now because I want to understand some of these issues a little bit better. I'm not I'm not saying you're going to convince me to change my mind, but I would like right. to know more about it. Martha, that's the only way to do democracy right. 
I mean, we live in a pluralistic society. And so we need to at least have respect for other people's opinions, but, but know their opinions. I think so many, in so many instances, we critique and criticize people when we don't even know the good that they're trying to get at. Even if we disagree with their conclusion, we should be able to articulate, well, they see this is good and that's what they're pursuing. But too many times we don't even know that. And, and so I'm with you. I'm, I'm uh, more traditional on, you know, uh, sexual orientation and gender identity issues. But that doesn't mean that I don't think people should be protected. And so, so there's a number of ways where we have to have nuance in the way that we do things. Really, Martha, to be faithful um, in our stewardship of, of our influence. You know, Jerry in North Hall said, what we need are leaders who aren't driven by greed and only want these political jobs in order to be able to feed at the trough. These people hmm. become multimillionaires uh, up there because they are all sitting at the table with each other getting filthy rich. Um, do you understand someone feeling that way? Absolutely, I understand people feeling that way. I mean, you, you can't kind of look at some of the things that are going on, uh, e- even with, you know, uh, h- how people are, are uh, using almost insider information to, to invest and things of that nature. We would have to be blind not to see it. But that's kind of my point. That's not an issue that necessarily should cut just on ideological or partisan lines. We should be able to all stand up and say, hey, this needs to change. And I think by separating groups that may disagree on very serious issues, they keep us from actually pressing them and putting pressure on them to change on issues that we all agree on. And so the AND campaign, although we are rooted kind of in the black Christian tradition, uh, we do want to reach out and hear others and align with others where we can see eye to eye and find common ground. Well, uh, Justin Gibney, thank you so much for being with us today. Tell folks again how they can get more information and then about Heirs to Action. Absolutely. Thank you. So uh, I'm with the AND campaign. You can get more information about us on andandcampaign.org, or you can go to Twitter, Instagram. We are at AND campaign. Um, and then on Thursday, again, at Ray of Hope Church at 7 o'clock, we will be kind of having praise, worship, and then some civic vision about how we can have leadership uh, that's not a, about money, that's not going to be uh, paid off, but really is trying to have the most faithful public witness as we can and that's willing to challenge our ideological um, um, views to make sure that we're being biblical. Absolutely. Well, I wish you the best on that. I'm going to be out of town, so I won't be able to attend. But uh, thank you for calling in today, and I look forward to talking with you again. Thank you, Martha, for sure. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Welcome back to the Martha Zoller Show. We are here talking with Commissioner Russell McMurray of the Georgia Department of Transportation. And Russell, before you got on the air, we were just talking about the fact we have known each other a very long time. Welcome. Well, thank you, Martha. Yes, we have, and always talking about transportation and the great things going on in Georgia. So it's great to be with you. And you're going to be in Gainesville later today. Tell us about that. Yes, I am. I'm speaking at this annual tradition of a transportation forum that the Gainesville Hall Chamber of Commerce puts on every year. And it's really a pleasure, one, to be in my home county to talk about all the things going on in transportation here in Gainesville and Hall County. So I look forward to that opportunity. And wow, there's a lot going on. So we have a lot to talk about today. 
Absolutely. Look, I wanted to have you on today because we've been getting a lot of questions about weight and roads. And uh, it came up first because of uh, additional weight being talked about added to truckloads in the legislature. And I don't believe that ultimately passed, but I'm sure the conversation is not going to go away. And then we got a number of questions from listeners related to electronic electric vehicles because the battery in electric vehicles are so much heavier, makes the car so much heavier than what a traditional automobile is. So first I wanted to talk about loads and how heavier trucks affect roads and what we're doing to plan for that. Absolutely, and it's a, it's a complicated conversation, but generally uh, roads and bridges specifically are designed for certain vehicles and certain vehicle weights. So as an engineer, you always design for the worst case scenario, which in that case is always a heavy truck uh, because uh, the more weight, the more wear and tear on roadways and our bridges just have to hold up that weight. So uh, the issue at hand is, what are Georgia's bridges designed for? And in fact, city and county bridges, about 50% of them were designed for a 30,000 pound truck, which sort of envision a, like a U-Haul or a rider box truck. That's about a 30,000 pound truck. And about 80% of Georgia's state routes uh, and interstate bridges are designed for 80,000 pound tractor trailers. Uh, if you think about what a tractor trailer looks like. And so that's sort of the engineering at hand. Uh, the challenge uh, that we have today is trucks are designed that they can haul more weight uh, than what the roads and bridges were designed for originally. And obviously the uh, business part of that is the more weight you can haul, the more efficient you can be as a business, which helps your bottom line and these times of high gas prices and diesel prices and things like that. So that's sort of the sort of the tension that was at hand during the legislative session Uh they did pass a form of increased weights for two years uh, for certain things like forest products and uh, agribusiness, which, as you know, is still Georgia's number one economy. So I think a pretty good balance that, you know, of, of trying to work on this, deliberate this so that we can figure out how do we take care of Georgia's roads and bridges and still have a, you know, a pro-business Georgia that we that we all appreciate. So, you know, in a place like the Savannah Port, one thing that really struck me when I went down there to visit several times is that they have this place where semi-trucks come in and go out. And I think at the time they told me they can turn a truck around in 54 minutes. What kind of impact does it have if you have one spot like that that does nothing but bring semis in and out, in and out, in and out all day? What kind of uh, improvements have to be made in a place like that? Well, especially the Savannah Port, which is uh, the third busiest container port in the United States and growing, uh, it takes a lot of investment in the infrastructure. And when we do projects there and uh, upgrade the roads and repair them or build new ones, they are to a very heavy standard to hold those loads. Uh, again, generally, most all of those coming in and out of there are 80,000 pounds or less. Uh, the, in fact, the uh, interstate system, federally, you can only haul 80,000 pounds on the interstate. Uh, the roads that are built to the highest engineering standards, if you will, and maintain the best and also enforce the best of weight limits with weigh stations along the interstate. So uh, you design those for a much higher standard. And sort of the issue at hand is, you know, with, with uh, agribusiness and, you know, with poultry here in Gainesville and Hall County and 
things like that, uh, those happen out on local roads, which probably were not designed for like an interstate or a state route might have been. So, you know, that's sort of the concern that exists and that we have to work through and work forward on, uh, again, to keep Georgia the number one place to do business. And then I'm assuming in the places like in northwest Georgia and soon in northeast Georgia where they're going to have these inland ports, there'll be adjustments to the roads because they're going to have a lot more truck traffic once those ports open up. Obviously, northwest Georgia is open, but northeast Georgia is going to open. Absolutely, and those are that's some of the things we're going to talk about today is sort of planning for that future and what that looks like. And the inland ports are actually fantastic, and you know most people sort of envision uh, what Savannah looks like with a lot of containers moving in and out. And it's not quite that. That's not quite the case with inland ports. Uh, you have don't have obviously as many trips, but we're getting those trips and those can truck truckloads out of the downtowns off of the you know, sort of the other roadways and getting them to an inland port, getting them on rail so that we're taking those trucks off the roads, which is a benefit in itself. But in and around the inland ports themselves, yes, we have to think about the road uh, construction and the, you know, the engineering there so that they have a good structural sound quality and long lasting. Uh, is Are all the environmental issues big obstacles to building roads still or are we get doing better with that? Well, uh, following all the federal and state environmental processes are certainly very important. Uh, it certainly is challenging from time to time. Uh, you know, we always need to be great stewards of our environment and all that we do. But uh, there is a lot of regula- a lot of regulation, uh, a lot of different resource agencies uh, that you have to deal with. So it is certainly a challenge. Uh, and I, I don't know, I can't say this got any better and, or it's gotten any worse, but it's certainly a challenge that we have to work through on any major infrastructure project, no matter if it's a city project, county project, or a state project. It's, well, you know, I have to tell you, to- all the improvements on 129 have been fantastic so far. I mean, I'm very excited about that. It's made my commutes all over North Georgia much easier. We're talking to Commissioner Russell McMurray. He is the commissioner of the Georgia Department of Transportation. Um, he's also affiliated with the University of Georgia. He's. If I started to tell you all the different things he's done, we wouldn't have time to ask him any more questions. But he has been a great uh, investor and participant in our economy and our community for many years. Um, that question about the environmental stuff kind of leads me to electric vehicles because I got this question from a listener and I couldn't answer it and I figured you were the guy to ask. I've been told that the batteries on electric vehicles are somewhere in the 2,500 to 3,500 pound range. Um, I was really surprised by that. So I was wondering, does that have an impact on roads and is it a challenge because, you you know, those cars are not paying the traditional road taxes through gasoline? I think there are some fees involved, but do they impact the roads because of their additional weight? So the short answer is uh, not really an impact uh, due to the additional weight uh, because they're still well under what we would design roads for, which is basically a tractor trailer. So it is more weight, but it doesn't have an impact uh, that a heavier, say, tractor trailer would have. Uh, they are, uh, EVs uh, traditionally are a little heavier than the inter- internal combustion engine, uh, maybe up to 33% heavier. Uh, but again, it's less than the limits of what we actually design roads for for state highways and interstates. Now, 
that may have a different impact on a local road that may have just been an unimproved road that just got, you know, a small thin layer of asphalt on it. So it could have some impact there. But generally for, for the state highway system, interstate system, uh, it's negligible. Well, that's good to hear because it it is something people are encouraging. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Our next car, we're probably going to look at a hybrid uh, because we still live in a rural area where, you know, sometimes I have range insecurity <laughs> on that kind of thing. So I want to be sure that I don't get stuck somewhere. So I think a hybrid is the way to go. I don't know if you remember, but my son, who's a mechanical engineer back in 08, um, he converted a diesel rabbit to vegetable oil because if uh, gas prices were about $4 a gallon back then. And he drove that car for many years, but he could go 1,900 miles between the diesel and the oil on the, on one tank. So it was, wow. it was a fun project, uh, for the, for the time that it lasted. But, um, I do think there's a lot of challenges and I know you guys don't get, as involved in the things like solar panels when they run off and and what you do with all of that. But I think we've got a lot of challenges going forward on we've got these great ideas on new innovation and how to do things better. But then thinking about what the unintended consequences are, I think that's what engineers do, right? Absolutely. And listen, there is so much going on in this arena. Obviously, Georgia is becoming the e-mobility capital of the nation with Rivian, Hyundai, Kia, Genesis, all going to be manufactured here and close to a million vehicles a year that will be electric manufactured in Georgia. And we're doing a lot of things. Uh, part of we're participating in a federal uh, funded program that to help with that anxiety that people have, uh, a nationally, uh, a national initiative to ensure that there's electric vehicle chargers every 50 miles along the interstate. And so, we're just getting underway with that uh, process to work with the private sector to install those, to help fund the private sector to do that. Uh, Georgia DOT and the state's never been in the gas uh, business or the uh, convenience store business. We don't intend to be there, but we are going to follow these federal requirements and use some of the federal funding to help the private sector be successful in putting uh, chargers along the interstate such that 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 range anxiety as it's known is lessened and as as more and more electric vehicles are manufactured and to your point hybrids uh hybrids are really having uh probably more promise and uh, i think than most people realize because you get the best of both worlds you can go on a long trip if you need to but on the short you know 40 to 50 mile trips you're just using your battery and charging at home at night yeah, I have not switched over yet, but I do drive a CRV and keep it on eco all the time. And so I get about 35 miles to the gallon. So I'm very excited about that. Russell McMurray, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for being a part of this community. And thank for thank you for always being available. You're welcome. Great to be with you. Thanks so much. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com. And you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller. 